You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm C.C. Broadus. And I'm joined by the guy that picked Ron Bauer to win the Preakness last weekend. That's Alan Schneider. Uh, how is everyone doing? I wish I had laid more into him, but I was hoping he got into the Derby at 40 to 1. It didn't happen, so you get a little something return. But you know, a few other people had it too, I got to be honest with you. And it was a great training job by Mike McCarthy. The horse was, horse was much the best, so uh, I was happy the horse ran well. And you obviously didn't make enough money to buy a new microphone. Is it not working well? It's, 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 the, okay. it's the headphones. You're okay right now. We'll, we'll okay. monitor going forward. And I'm also joined by a co-owner of a newly graded stakes placed filly named Dream a Little Dream of You, the official filly, the official four-year-old filly of the Auxiliary Gate podcast, and that's Brandon Jaggers. Hey, guys. Yeah, man, that just gave me chills. It's... Uh... I think I probably watched the replay, uh, you know, 19 times, and I even watched it last night and got the rush from it, and uh, just appreciate all the support and all the the good vibes and text messages we got from some of our fan base, and just want to say she's doing fantastic. She came out of the race well, and we're real excited. Dan is very excited, our manager, and uh, I've never even asked Brad Cox what he thought, but I bet he was a little surprised. So she ran so game, and uh, we're we're thrilled. And um, God, now I forgot I was going to tell you. Oh, <laughs> about Ron Bauer. You know, our 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 longtime listener and uh, guest Will Nefsker uh, has been talking about that horse for months and months, and yes, him on the backside. And I will let you know because of what happened with Medina Spirit and that whole thing. He decided not to play the races that day. Oh. And there was one day to sit out, and he was – I talked to him. He was jockeying between a large wind bed, and nothing happened. So, you know, poor Will, send him, send him some money via PayPal. Uh, <laughs> try to get him back in the game. I think he's playing Canterbury tonight, which is crazy. But anyway, I went too long there. But thank you. Thank you, Craig, for that. I'm glad you regained your voice. Uh, you, you lost it yelling at your TV. <laughs> yes, that's 100% true. It's kind of back. I, I would say I'm 90% back today. Hopefully 100% uh, come tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So we've got a special guest tonight, and uh, we're very pleased that uh, this gentleman is going to join us. And I'm going to turn it over to Alan, and Alan is going to introduce him. Yes, yeah, CC. thanks for that. Uh, our guest this week is – is a successful longtime mainstay trainer here in the Bluegrass. If you're any sort of Kentucky Circuit fan like myself, like CC, like Brandon, you're familiar with some of his noted runners around these parts over the years, like Ivy Bell, Kobe Trace, Helen Bellin, among others. And most recently, he helped kick off the current Churchill Spring Meet in style when his three year old Colt Launchpad won on opening night. He's one of those sneaky underrated trainers you always have to keep an eye on. And with that said, we'd like to welcome trainer William Denzik, a.k.a. Billy Denzik, to the Auxiliary Gate podcast. All right, hold Billy. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, 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 oh yes. Stop. 
So, I, all right, we cannot go any further until I get something off my chest. Well, go ahead. All right, I want to rewind the clock. 13 and a half years. I, I've been waiting for this moment for 13 and a half years. I want to talk about a day. I used to bet every every Churchill card at work at my desk, especially when the, uh, the doors closed. I would stick around. I had the keys. I'd stick around maybe an hour, hour and a half after every card. This particular November evening, I played a pick four at Churchill. It's a sloppy track. It's a nasty day. They were off the turf. Picked the first winner. I think I singled the first winner. It was my chickadee, four to five, 90 cents on the dollar. Came back and hit a 29 to one shot with Tom Amos. You never get Tom Amos at 29 to one, unless it's a Kentucky Oaks. So I've got about $30, $40 left in my account. I maxed my account out. Rather than rather than saving on the last race, I decided to save with doubles with the horses I didn't have. I had, had uh, it was a field of seven and I used four of them. And I saved with doubles to the horses I had in the last leg. Turns out I didn't need it. I had a five to one winner going into the last leg of the pick four, but I was out of money. The account was on zero. Yes, it's getting better and better. <laughs> it really is. Race 10 had 11, uh, it was a maiden claimer, excuse me, maiden claimer, $30,000 tag. I had 11, excuse me, I had nine of the 11. I did not have a filly named Lavenham, and I did not have another filly whose name escapes me. But I'm thinking, I'm good. Lavenham's 49 to 1. The other filly's 50 to 1. The payoffs... For the pick four, started with the favorite, who was an Asmussen filly named Appellate. She was roughly six to five. It was like $1,200. I remember this. This is 13 and a half years ago. I remember wow. this. Appellate was $1,200. The largest payoff in that field was $60,000 to a Ooh. horse I had. Nine of the 11. They go to the post parade. On the way to the gate, one of the two fillies I don't have scratches. Oh. Hell, I got this. I'm, you know, I'm laughing all the way to the bank. Nine, I've got nine of the ten. Nine of the ten Phillies. Should have went back the and had one, your best The only one I don't have is this Philly McLavenham. She's got a, two lines of workouts. None of them are faster than 53 seconds for a half mile. Okay, maybe she's fit, but she's not fast. She's in for baiting 30. Whatever. BJ Hernandez is riding. I don't even know who that is at this point. This is 2007, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. They break from the gate. Lavenham goes straight to the lead. Never looks back. Wins by three and a half lengths. The pick four pays $60,000. <laughs> I had nine of the ten, and I did not use <laughs> one that paid $60,000. So... To our guest, Mr. Billy Denzik, I would like well, you to apologize to me so I can get this off of my chest. I will, <laughs> I will apologize, but that, that was, I can remember the day not quite as good as you, but um, the Brian walked in. Nobody knew who Brian Hernandez was at that time. I think he was, hell, Brian might have been 18 years old or something like that, or, or you know, pushing 20. And uh, he was real new. I mean, I, I don't know. 
I don't think that was his first win, but it was pretty close. And he walked into the paddock, and, and I assumed he was Hispanic, you know. And so I started talking to him like I don't I don't speak Spanish, but I started talking to him kind of in that, you know, boy, he's like, man, I'm from Louisiana. <laughs> and um, so we're good friends now. We always joke about that. But the funny, the funny, yeah, this probably doesn't beat your story, but it's pretty close. Uh, my ex-wife, and I, I want to stress that, ex-wife, um, I told her when I left the house to bet 200 across on her. Oh. And I had some money in my TVG account, so it wasn't no big deal. I, you know, I don't know what I had in there. I had nothing, you know, it wasn't no big deal. And so she wins, and right, it, I still got the win picture, and I look like I'm about ready to cry. <laughs> but she, uh, I call her right when the, they hit the wire, and I said, can you believe that? And she said, you're going to really be pissed at me. She said, but uh, I only bet 20 across. She said, I, I, oh. didn't think, I didn't think you liked her that much. And so we're divorced now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've never, to this day, I've never went back and added up how much that would have been. <laughs> but, uh, oh, my but, yeah, God. That, so, so we all, yeah, that Lavenham was a great day, but it was, uh, yeah, obviously for a couple of people, it wasn't that great. Well, yeah. <laughs> I remember that day. All right, well, I'm sure. I, yeah, we, me and Alan, have talked about this. That's amazing, though. It's the only word she left then. out. <laughs> well, yeah, and then the worst part about it is I had no money in my account. I couldn't even load it up. I mean, this is this is 2007. I don't think you know I was that was in my what in my 20s or early 30s. You know, money wasn't growing on trees. It would have been a pretty big hit. Yeah. All I had to do was bet 25 to win, and then that would have been. Just the same as the uh, the exactly, yeah. payoff. Yeah. But you know, I didn't have it, so I paid the price. <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> and now here we all reunited together. Isn't that amazing? And I can guarantee you, I've I've used your horses in every single play I've ever made <laughs> since then. You never <laughs> left me out. Oh, that's funny. It is anyway, funny. All right, Billy, how are you doing? Um, everything's everything's really good. Um. Some people don't know this, but I'm I'm gonna probably end my training career at the end of the month, and oh, um, you know, um, a, a new opportunity has come up, and it's with a good friend or my best friend uh, that I've owned horses with for 15 or 20 years, and uh, you know, he, he he's a Louisville businessman, and and uh, he's did really well for himself, and he he kind of come to me about a year ago about making a long term plan where me and him can enjoy it and kind of get get away from me having to do so much, you know, all the time around the barn and travel and all that stuff. So, um, I've, we came up with a plan. Uh, it's called, it's called a RSLP racing. And, uh, we're going to start with claiming, we're claiming some high end claimers. We've already claimed four at Churchill and they'll be under Jeff Hiles name. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't even know that, but so, um, we claimed one for seventy-five thousand the other day for Chad from Chad Brown. That seems like okay horse. So we're gonna we're gonna fire pretty high, and then um, we're gonna uh, come September, maybe even July, we're gonna go to the sale, and we're gonna buy anywhere from probably five to eight uh, fairly high-priced yearlings, and they'll go to Al Stall and Reed McGahey, and uh, he's just gonna let me manage the whole thing. So I'm gonna get out of training. Oh. Yeah, and so you'll have no more stories about me. <laughs> I hate that. I really do hate to hear that. But well, I, you uh, never know. You can come back. But uh, it's it's a good opportunity. And if this, you know, it, the, like I say, the way the climate is and the 
industry right now and I, I think things are going to get much tougher on small trainers and he, he saw that and and uh there are just certain things i i can't do that uh you know outfits that the the, the racetracks can do and and uh and it's probably you know just a, it's really really a blessing for me at my age and my time you know what we want to do in life me and him together and it's really it's really going to be a great opportunity but it, it's just a little bit different when you're when you're all of a sudden not going to do anything, do the same thing you've done for 30 years. And it's, it's already kind of difficult for me not to get up and just start worrying, but, but I think I'll, I'll just, you know. Now I have a connection to Jeff Hiles, his father, Rick trained for my, my father and uh, his partners way back. Oh, really? Yeah. And I know Jeff probably doesn't, doesn't know me, but I remember him. I, uh, I know he, he's got some good experience under his belt. Can I ask you what went into the decision to claim I think you claimed Savoy and right. uh, Sunday. What what went into that decision? Well, the, the amazing thing, I, I've never claimed. I, I think I've claimed one horse in my life, and it was a horse that somebody else picked out. And I've had, through the years, I've had a ton of people come to me and say, hey, do you want to claim horses? And I just, I've always felt that claiming was just a complete crapshoot. You know, I mean, I, I'm around trainers that claim, and it seems like they get one, and it's always got issues, and some of them work out, and some of them don't. And I, I just always enjoyed going to the sales and starting from ground zero and knowing what I had and, and developing a horse, you know. So I never did do any claiming. Well, now that I'm, you know, at the track doing claiming and, and really getting into the process, uh, it's just it's just amazing how um, it's still a crapshoot it's still, it's still very difficult. You don't get to look at the horse very long. You know, you, uh, I'd be honest with you. I, I never just see, I never even thought about claiming. So I never really looked into what, what goes into it. But I mean, it, I, I think, I think that process should be changed myself. I, I think, uh, it's just crazy. Like we paid 75,000 for a horse. I think we got very lucky, but you literally look at the horse for maybe 15 seconds. Oh, yeah, and when they're walking over, and you got to drop the claim slip 15 minutes before post, and they got bandages on the horse, so you really, you really do not, you do not know what you're getting at all, other yeah. than on form. And we've claimed four at this meet, and two of them bled, one of them bled significantly, and uh, I don't know, it's it, it's a it's a tough. I, I my personal opinion is the, the one thing that's killing this business is we we need to. We need to take some of the risk out for owners. There's too much risk, and and I, all I see is a lot of things happening in this industry that create more risk. And I own horses myself, and I put up my own money, and I just see more risk going into buying a horse. I don't think that's ever good for the industry. What are you? What are your views on uh, uh, race day Lasix and, and, and like stakes racing? I, I, I assume you're you're anti that law or that that regulation yeah like like i just said i mean just for instance i mean them two horses we claimed that bled i mean i've talked and, and I, i'm very good friends with a lot of people that are very high up in and all the all this you know the racing you know industry you know but nobody really gives you an answer of like okay i, I mean real simple i mean i got a horse that bleeds and we can't use lasix what do i do and I've talked to the state vet about it, a uh, real, really nice guy. But we talked, and he said, well, we're finding out that you, if you turn them out, it helps a lot. And I'm like, and most of them heal up. And I'm like, that that's just not true because we've been doing that for about 30 years. And 
and they 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 don't all heal up and probably a very small percentage of them uh most of them come back and bleed and i just do not get for the life of me how anybody thinks this is going to be good for the industry and i really don't i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong i mean i get that but i mean because i've been wrong a million times but i do not get where taking lasix away it's not going to make the bleeders go away and uh i i just don't i mean and i've asked many people you know there's no alternative it's lasix or nothing and like i say them two horses we claimed i don't even know if they'd be able to run to get to the point where we could have claimed them but what would you do now if you couldn't run on lasix? They bled through Lasix. So what would yeah. you do now? You know, and that's my, I'm in the business. I see it. You know, I, I was there, you know, I was there when they scoped the horse and, you know, the, uh, the last one we, we uh, claimed, I mean, they actually pulled the scope out of the horse and he had blood all over it, which that's, that's a significant bleed. I think, if, you know, and I don't know what you do if we didn't have Lasix. I mean, th- them two would have to be retired, no doubt. Right, and I, and I just don't get where that's good at all, you know. And and what I, and 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 that being said too, I've sat with probably a thousand horses that have gotten treated for Lasix, and I've never seen one bad effect from it. it you know, it's I, they just took to me they took Lasix and just used it as a scapegoat, <clears throat> and and now now they got to stick to it, you know. So they're just going to push the agenda. And and the other thing I'd like to say too, I mean, I don't know why. They have not used these couple of years with these two-year-olds and made mandatory scoping and kept a log. And let's see the facts of if the horses are bleeding. And now that we got the older older crops that are running the graded races without Lasix, why not make it mandatory, scope them, come out with the results and let everybody see. And, and you know what, if, 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 none of, if only 4% of them, 10% of them are bleeding, I'd be on board and say, hey, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you'd want to know how many horses are bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to get on the soapbox again. I mean, all it's going to take is for a really popular horse to to be bleeding from both nostrils on national TV, and then, then we've got our next issue. And that that's the case too. I mean, I, I've talked to people very high up at some of these deals, especially state vets, and it's almost like the the thought about bleeding now has gotten. It's like okay. They're not bleeding until they bleed out. And I have, I've been training for almost 30 years and probably been in, in around a racetrack for 35. And I'm like, uh, I've seen maybe five horses bleed out. It's not a real common thing. But you're if you scope and you see blood, it, the horse bled, you know? And they're making it sound like that doesn't... I mean, I even had people come up to me and say, well... I say, yeah, we, we we claimed a horse that bled, and and somebody said, well, that's fixable, and I'm like, well, I don't know how it's fixable. Go to Belter and run on Lasix and Amicar. That's that's the only way you fix it. And um, so yeah, I mean, I just want I just want somebody to tell me why I'm wrong, and and if they can, right. that's fine. I'll listen. I agree, I agree with 100. percent Yeah. Uh, while we're on the issue of medication, let's talk about the uh, the Kentucky Derby. You, uh, you, you feel free to, to oh yeah share, share your opinion on that. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, we've all got an opinion. What what's yours on the on the issue? Well, I'm 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 kind of disappointed because um, I think when the Navarro and service thing come out, I think it opened. I had no idea there were designer untestable drugs out there. You know. 
I mean, I'm in the business, and it just wasn't something that everybody knew or anybody knew. So we know now that it's out there. We know that there's some stuff out there that can't test. And I mean, it's kind of, I mean, and, and the only way them guys got caught was from the FBI wiretap. And, you know, people don't understand. They would never, Navarro and Service would still be winning races just like they were if it wasn't for that wiretap. And I don't get why we're using betamethasone, which, you know, there, there's not a trainer around me that hasn't injected an ankle or something with that. I mean, that's just to be honest. You know, that's the way it is. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, they, they come out like it's a steroid. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a corticosteroid. It's not an anabolic steroid. So it makes it sound worse and way worse than what it is. And I just don't know where, you know, we, we kind of use that as a scapegoat. And I almost have the feeling that our industry is going to go, okay, we got him. We're going to push him out. And he, he's doing bad things. Well, what he did, I, I've had three trainers around me that got positives on betamethasone at Belterra. And they went 15, 16 days out. So it's a, it is a case where I don't think the racing commissions have any idea what the withdrawal times are, what, like they always do. And they test in picograms. And I don't, you know, I don't know the specifics on his case, but I, I personally feel that if this is the road they go without really finding out what is going on, why are certain trainers' horses running off the screen, you know, re-breaking, coming back in three weeks and, run, and their buyers go, keep going up. They fly around the world and their buyers keep going up. And, I mean, there's a lot of things. And, and I just hope our industry don't, like, stop at that point and go, okay, we're pretty satisfied with that because – I'm not personally satisfied. I think there are more trainers using a lot more things than betamethasone. And uh, I, I, I hope, you know, and I, I said this in one of my one of my tweets, I said, you know, I, I think the only way to get the bottom of it is the FBI has to sit these guys down. If you lie to the FBI, you go to prison and set the groom down, set the, the vet down, set the, the you know, uh, uh, pharmacologist down, set the trainer down and and tell them, tell them, say, you lie, you're going, you're going to jail. And, and, you know, that's the only way you're going to get the truth out. What, here's what's baffling me about this, though, is, is when uh, Baffert announced the positive, he started, he blamed everybody but himself. And then the next day, he, he came up with, with uh, uh, a shaky excuse. You know, he, he said he'd been rubbing this, uh, this Otomax on the horse for a rash. I, I know Baffert's not a dummy. I know the people around him aren't dummies, the vets and whatnot. I just, give me an opinion on uh, what actually happened. Or is that, well, is I've, this talk, I've, talked to, I've talked to people that have a lot that are very in, in on the situation, and they actually do not think that he injected that horse. And, uh, you know, there's been comments about certain PEDs that spawn off a beta-methasone positive. And, you know, that's right. another thing. There's so much crap floating around it. You almost have to be, a, you got to be a scientist to, to, to know if it's right or wrong and, and uh, or, or, you know, if it's, if it's true. And I really, you know, it's hard to comment on something like that, but uh, I, I would bet, um, you know, a million dollars that that's not the case. And the lidocaine deal was not the case. And, and, uh, you know, he, he, I mean, we've read all the articles. I mean, he is doing the same thing that Lance Armstrong did, and that's what you do. I mean, why, why would he come out and say he's guilty? Why would he come out and say, here's what I'm using? I, I personally think that, that these, tra these trainers 
have something that they're so confident that they're using that's untestable. I mean, I just their their confidence and their arrogance is unbelievable. And uh, I mean, it would be my confidence would be like that too if I knew there ain't no damn way you could catch me. Y'all can yeah. y'all can insinuate all you want, but prove it. And I don't know if we'll ever be able to prove it unless we get him to admit it, you know, or them, you know. Right. Well, this this is going to linger over our heads for a long time. That's for sure. Uh, Alan, do uh, you have any questions for uh, for Billy? Oh, sure. Like I said, uh, switching gears to, to the successes you've had over the years, uh, Billy. A lot of our listeners may may not know that uh, some of the some of the big horses that you've been behind, and one that comes to mind personally for me is uh, Ivy Bell. Uh, would you like to talk about Ivy Bell? That's a horse that Todd Pletcher. Uh, I got from you, I believe, after the horse showed a lot of promise. I'm guessing your phone started ringing off the hook when she showed so much promise as a two-year-old, three-year-old. Yeah. And that horse went on to almost run behind Monomoy Girl in the acorn, if I'm not mistaken. And right. uh, uh, let's give you your credit. Uh, Ivy Bell was you, right? Yeah, I, I bought her actually out of the Fazic Tiffin sale. I had run Kobe Trace, at uh, who, I, who I bought out of the sale. I bought her for 10000 and you know, she was ill-bred, basically, and, and she ended up being a really, really nice filly, you know, like a real life-altering filly for me because I was not not in the best of times at that time, and I, I took what little money I had, and I bought her for 10000 and she ended up being a graded winner. And uh, so Ivy had run second to her at Churchill, and I, I told Brooke, I said, let's go buy that filly because I, I really like our filly, and that filly runs second. And so, you know, I went and bought her out of the sale. I think it paid 80000 I think Brad Cox might have been the underbidder. And uh, God knows what she did if he'd have had her. But uh, so, <laughs> so it, anyway, I mean, it's like, yeah, so it, it changed. We, we sold her. We so, uh, bought her for eighty and sold her for 400 And she made about 200 with us. And then they took her and sold her for a million. So, you know, it's, you know, you wish you could have kept her and did that, but I, I could have never did what Todd Fletcher did. You know, I, I didn't have the, the resources to do that, probably. You know, so it, it worked out. We we made a good lick off her, and we and we enjoyed it. It was it was a good time for everybody. You know, that was she did. She ran second in the Acorn of Montemagor, if my memory serves. Is that correct? Is that what, yeah, is that what, yeah, yeah. And then she, of course, she she competed in stakes throughout the the, the Midwest and and such, and 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 made a nice bankroll. And the horse was always right there. So. Uh, Again, I, I don't know if people realize Ivy Bell was that that was you. So yeah, most and, people don't. Very few people I mention her name, and they're like, "Oh, that was you." Like, yeah, yeah that's why you're. At, see, that's why we pay attention. We pay attention, Billy. We. I mean, we yeah. Another thing. I mean, I, I you know I average getting five horses a year, fresh horses. So yeah, just you know, at one time I had two greatest stake winners in my barn. And I only yeah. had four horses running, so it'll never happen again to me, I'm sure. And it's very rare to happen to anybody, so I was very—it's just a lucky time in my life, I guess. You know, so. Well, you know what? With that in mind, let's brag a little bit about Kobe Trace because you turned Kobe Trace into a grade a grade three winner, correct? If I'm not mistaken. Yes. And uh, where did she get that grade three at? For people that don't know. At, at, at Charlestown, she run uh, won the uh, Charlestown Oaks. Wow, and uh, that—that's probably. Would that be two turns she, out there? Did be, yeah, well, it's two turns. It was like, I think it was seven and a half, but it was two turns. But uh, Pletcher, Pletcher runs second, so I beat him. And, uh, well, I, I didn't. I had no clue who the jocks were up there, so I called the racing secretary, and 
I'm like, hey, I, I don't have a jock for my horse. And he's like, well, this guy's pretty good. And it was Boca Chica. That was Omar name. Boca Chica. Yeah. 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 So, so I've never, never met him or anything. Put him on. So he ends up beating Castellano right on the wire. And so I was, and he called me up and he was literally just bawling when he, when he talked to me after the race, he just was crying and it was the biggest race of his life. So it was, it was a very, me and my daughter, we actually sat in the, in the living room watching it late at night. Uh, the Keeneland sales was going on. So I, I had to go to the sales and buy more horses. And I, and so I, I sent some people up to take care of it, but we watched it at night and it was just one of them special times, you know, that you remember forever when she won. I was like, oh my God. And I owned half of her too, so it was like it got me out of the hole. Was it was it almost as exciting as Lavenham? <laughs> nah, I don't think it's that exciting. You know, an interesting note for the people that listen to this podcast, and uh, you, you I, as I mentioned earlier, you had Launchpad. It was a really nice looking three. I rent, rent some really good races at Turfway. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the horse ran second at Turfway behind. Mike McCarthy's horse, who just won the Preakness, as a matter of fact. Right. And and uh, so I believe Launchpad wins on opening day and was claimed from you. And I don't know if even Cece realizes who claimed. Do you know who claimed the horse off of you? M- Michelle. I do. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was our good friend, our BFF. We have her on the show at the time. Michelle Lovell claimed we, Launchpad. <laughs> yeah, we have never. I, I don't know Michelle. And then uh, the other day, uh, probably a couple weeks ago, I was looking at horses to claim, and I'm out on the rail looking, and she walks up, and I knew I knew her, but I've never met her. And I walked up to her, and she's like, "Oh my God, I claimed your horse." And I'm like, you know, to me, I, I'm not, you know, and this is this goes for the the Brooke, the, my partner. You know, we just we don't really hold anything against it. You know, we want horses to go on and do good. You know. Mm-hmm. And and I really do. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't hurt if he won a grade one, but but same time, you know, I, I, I do not. I've never you know, it's one of the reasons I'm kind of getting out of training, too. I'm just like I'm just I don't have it in me to drop one in that's on its last leg. And there's been a lot of people. I mean, I'm, I'm targeted pretty good on, on people claiming off me. And, you know, I mean, and there's been times they move horses up and times they haven't. But I really I just uh, I'm not. Now that I'm claiming, I'm not, I'm not probably capable of doing some of the things a lot of trainers do these days, which is like take them right to the end. They don't want anybody to have anything left that they have, and right. And, and I, I just don't. I, I think that's. I, I think it's the wrong way to do things. You know. Well, you got. If it's any consolation, Michelle's great, and she'll take good care of the horse. Exactly. And, yeah. No, I feel really good about him. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's good. Hey, there's. Uh, I'm gonna pass this on to uh, one of the other guys for a second, but. There's Helen Bellin too. Helen Bellin won a bunch of races for you, right? Was always very competitive. Yeah, she she was cool. I mean, I bought her out of the sale for sixty sixty five hundred, I think, and you know, she won. I think she won the one of the stakes of a turfway by about fifteen, and kind of was like on the Oaks Trail for a little bit, and and uh, no, she was a great great filly in my career, you know. Yeah, there's a that's why we have you on here because uh, there's a if if you follow if you follow the racing circuit, you know the guys that are, that are really good and have done good work and just and have had a lot of good horses and I think people have a tendency to overlook or just forget about some of these horses. So it's always cool to bring them back up and uh, yeah, another special to you, another special to you. Hey guys, what else what else you got for uh, Mister Billy Denzik here? Hey Billy, uh, Brandon, so. I mean, you make a great point, and and if you're out claiming out, out of Churchill Downs, I mean, you talk about a competitive circuit. There's good horses in those races, but 
you know, and when we go back there quite a bit, and I, I know a, a lot about nothing really, but to me, <laughs> that whole claiming experience as a new owner, you know, I've only been doing it for three or four years. I mean, there is nothing. You're a hundred percent right. It's just, yeah. It's, I mean, I feel ashamed almost. I've been in the business for that long and I'm like, I mean, about the first one we claimed, I was like, ah, damn, man. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, you don't get to do it, you know, and, and, it, you know, the one thing I don't like, it takes the horsemanship out of anything. I mean, I'm used to going to the sale and man, you look at a horse and you look at the x-rays and you scope them and you watch them walk and you, you, you go down their legs and you, you make a good yep. buy, you know, and I, I, I think they could really do a lot of things and I think they might end up doing it. Because claiming is becoming a very popular thing just in the last five years, a lot more so than when I was younger coming up. I remember just one horse get claimed on a car, and everybody's like, hey, it, that horse got claimed. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a rarity. You could protect your horse pretty good. Nobody's going to take it for 25000 you know. And uh, it's not like that anymore. It's a very competitive thing. And I think I think they'll do the racetracks, the industry, and everything a lot better. You know, like the scoping, I'm, I'm going to bring up some people uh, – Hunter Rankin got the job at Churchill, and, and he's a very good friend of mine. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I, I'm going to bring up some things to people like him and, and just like, you know, why can't why can't we turn a horse back in if he scopes and he bled? Yeah. You know? right. I mean, or, you, I mean it, why, why you couldn't know? you see the vet treatment for like the last Why don't you see the vet records? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. You, you know, hey, no front bandages. Bring him over and let people at least look. And let him go to the paddock and let 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 the the future owner see how he acts in the paddock. I, I mean, maybe there's a something that that uh, bookkeeping wise or something that needs to be done quicker. But there's some way they could slow that process down a little bit, where at least you you had a little bit better you know chance. And, and like I go back to the same thing I said, man. I mean, that that's the riskiest thing I've ever done. I've never I can't believe. I mean, the other night, like I said, I spent seventy five thousand. I didn't even get to look at the horse. It, you feel like an idiot, really, but uh, but it shouldn't yeah. be like that. You know, they could they could take precau- they could take measures to make it safer. I mean, the hardest thing you could do, and I don't know how trainers would feel about this, but when they enter those horses and that card comes out three days before the race, is run through, you know, and try to find that horse in that barn and get them to walk out in front of you, and you feel their legs then. But yeah. I don't know, I don't know how that people would feel about that, you know. Or how a trainer would, because I mean, you go back there, they're running their sets, they're doing, they're turning their stalls, they're busy. Well, they're you know, not there's, there. There, there's things too. You know, you, you know, it's like at the sales. I mean, not every horse is perfect, and most good horsemen realize that. And I could watch a horse maybe walk or something, and I'd say, you know, he 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 walks a little different or something. But but I've seen that before, and 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 you can live with. It, but at least you know, you know, at least you make your buy knowing as much as you can know this is like you don't know anything and it's just you know I, I just think it can be tweaked a lot and i think it's going to be a very i think claiming is going to become a huge thing because when they take lasix away i mean i've already talked to my man and i'm not personally myself i'm not buying any yearlings because if i buy a yearling this year and two years later there'll be no lasix that's for sure and they're definitely not for two year olds but probably not for anybody and, you know, it's devastating to me if I got 30 or 40 grand of my own money into a yearling, you know, and all of a sudden he's two and he, he works a five eights and he comes back bleeding and, and, and he's a bleeder and I, and I can't do that with him. You know, 
I mean, I don't even know what you do with a horse like that. So I'm not going to risk my money anymore, you know. So claiming, I think people will pick when Lasix is gone, which it definitely will be. Uh, I think people are going to start looking and say, hey, you know, at least this horse can run without Lasix. And claim is going to become very huge, you know, very bigger than what it is now, I think. Yeah, it's it's such a, I mean, it's crazy. It's like having front wrap. It's like equipment, you know. They're normally running with it, but but yet you want to take that medication away, but you can't see any vet records of the horse. Exactly. Well, uh, this old business, you know, another thing, I mean, getting off, off path a little bit, but not too much, but I, I just find it unbelievable that all the, you know, I always say blue bloods, you know, because I'm not from Lexington. And I, and, and I got friends in Lexington. I got friends that own big farms, and, I, you know, they're, they're good people. But it seems to be that between the jockey club and Lexington, they make all the huge rules now. But they don't, when it comes to them sales, the Keeneland sales, they don't hold themselves accountable to any rules. But they want to control racing, with, and they want to take away every medication, everything, and make it, make it this unbelievably clean sport. Well, how about going to the sales and, and making that a clean sport? You know, I mean, yeah. it's not fair. You know, I mean, what they make money off of, they don't want to touch. They don't want to take anything away because they can lead that horse that's not the smoothest mover out in the paddock. They can give him 10 grams of butte and, and give him this and that and lead him through the sales ring and I'll buy him for 30000 And they'll say, well, yeah, he never was like that. It's a farm, you know, and that's the way it goes. But, you know, if you're going to clean up the business, I'm fine with it, but clean it up. Two-year-old train sales, yearling sales, all of it. Clean all of it up. Yeah, I mean, we, so we've we been buying on two-year-old sales. And I tell you, when they come out of those things, they're, like, jacked. And they really got to get some time to settle down. And we usually turn them out for a couple months. But, but that's, no, that's no guarantee, you know. Yeah, I know. We got, yeah, I know. No, I've got a couple out of sales just recently. And they're so, they're so wired. And, you know, it's kind of sad. I say it, I was talking to Jeff Hiles today, we were talking about, and I was like, he wants to go two-year-old train sales, which I, I, I like him. He really likes him, but I mean, is it me or the horses go so fast that I can't even tell how they move? <laughs> yeah. Because right. it's the only time in their life they're going to go nine and change. I mean, I don't care if they win the Breeders' Cup sprint, they'll never go nine and change. And it's like, they look like, I always thought they looked very uncomfortable moving that fast. And it's kind of like, are they scrambling? Are they, are they, are they choppy? Or you know, it's kind of like they actually make them go so fast they don't even look right. So yeah. you know. would think a good horseman would be able to just tell by the gallop. You know, if they just oh, gallop. Man, you, yeah, you yeah. should be able to watch a horse with a good pedigree and he's sound and watch him two minute lick. And if you can't, I, I could buy a horse. You know, me personally, I'd buy a horse like that for a half million. It's the breeze that you're buying them off of that would scare the shit out of you. Right. <laughs> yeah, that makes it makes no sense, you know. Right. Uh, Brandon, you got anything else for Billy? No, I, I hope I see you around on the backside when we get back there. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely come up and yeah, we'll definitely anytime you guys want to hook up or anything, just yell at me. Yeah, well, tell, tell us the the name that you're claiming under now, so the listeners can follow. It's it's uh, RSLP Racing. Got it. And it's hey, Hey Billy, are, are you are the horses going to be based out at High Point or or, or just uh, different places? Well, Jeff, Jeff's going to have them out at High Point, and he might have a few at the uh, at the race tracks. Jeff Jeff's expanding, you know, right? And uh, he's doing really good. So um, 
and then, then the, like I say, the babies, we're going to buy five or six, and they'll go to Al Stahl and um, Reeves McGahee, uh, probably. And, and we'll have horses in the wintertime at Gulfstream and Fairgrounds, both probably. So uh, wow. it's just getting started. You know, I mean, we're, I guess we want to get up to like 15 or 20 eventually. And maybe if, if other, other, other people want to come and join, you know, it might be one of them kind of deals where we take on other people and they, they can join up and get us get a real syndicate but right now brooke just kind of we're pretty happy with doing it ourselves you know but right well uh billy before we let you go i just got a couple more questions for you i'm just curious what i i've come across a lot of horsemen and trainers and whatnot that i mean it's it's 100 horses all the time and, and nobody really ever has any hobbies i'm just curious is that the same with you is there anything else that you like to do to unwind when you get away well, yeah you know I, you all probably understand this because you get to a certain age, and I hate to say that because we're not that old, but I mean, oh I, yeah, I, I just gotten a certain age where I'm like, yeah, I do want to do different things, and I, I enjoy playing golf. I played golf for U of L um, when I was younger, and kind of kind of starting to try to pick it back up again and play, and and you know just yeah have have more of a life. You know, it's not it's not the time. I had a, I had a real good deal. I mean, I, I set up a very good spot for myself over the years. I worked very hard to do it, but, but the last 10 years, I got great people working for me and I, I don't slave, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie to you, but I do, it's, it's the nonstop thinking and worrying about horses all the time. That's going to be a really pleasant thing to probably get away from, you know, cool. I mean, the, 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 the care of the horse, not just, Hey, how the horse going to run, but is the horse sick or well, that Philly's colic. And then I had, I had a, uh, Jeff called me the other night and said, your Philly's co- your Philly's colic and I got two horses left and I'm like, you know, I'd be glad when I don't have to do this shit again. <laughs> 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 I've had enough what's that, your yeah. what's your favorite golf course? You know, you well, I like Neville Mead. I never I never play it that much, but I like it and uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll go there and I, I play in Lagrange because I, li- I I work out in Lagrange. I live in Louisville, but I work out in Lagrange, so I'll stop by uh, the course in Lagrange and play in Eagle Creek and. But, 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 you know, I, I played like Pebble Beach a couple of years ago and still, oh, wow. I still, I still really enjoy it and, and it's still decent at it, but I, I'd like to get to where I can practice a little bit more and enjoy it more, you know? Yeah, I understand that. Well, uh, one more thing for, uh, for we let you, let you go. And this is pretty important to me. Can I get you on record to apologize to me? My <laughs> heart. Could you work I, that? I, I do. I do apologize because I tell you what, them them works were legit, and, <laughs> and that Philly just. I mean, I didn't have any idea she'd do that. So I, I do apologize to you. <laughs> on the record. On the record. On the record. Yes. I will save this forever. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> it's one so, of my great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I apologize. <laughs> there we go. All okay. right. Well, see you made made your day, didn't it? It, it did. It did. Thirteen and a half years later, we finally, we finally. Met I'm glad up. you don't remember that story. It wasn't too detailed. <laughs> <laughs> Sixty grand be nice right now, wouldn't it? Oh my gosh, I could use it. I could use it. All right, well, Billy, uh, we're very, very grateful that you uh, joined us tonight, and we wish you much success with your new venture. And uh, hopefully, we'll bump into each other somewhere down the road on the on the racetrack. And, and uh, bump fists or shake hands or something. So uh, okay, well I appreciate it, guys. No, I enjoyed it. Anytime you w- want to talk about something, need somebody to yap, I'll I'll, I'll be there. Absolutely. You got it. Yeah, we yeah, enjoyed. Sounds it. good. Yeah, we we enjoyed you uh, coming along with us here tonight. So uh, 
Uh, that's Billy Denzik, everybody. All right, welcome to part two of our weekly podcast. And of course, this part will concentrate on the Saturday card at Churchill Downs. That's May 22nd, Downs After Dark. Always a fun occasion. Brandon Jaggers has left us. He's on his way to his bachelor party, apparently celebrating with Jack Harlow, maybe. <laughs> and a certain DJ, but I don't. Oh my goodness. I don't, I don't know that for a fact. Nice. Have fun, Brandon. Have fun. Be Have safe, fun. brother. Watch your backside. Yeah. All right. So, 11 race card at Churchill Downs on Saturday. And capped off by co-features, the winning colors and the Kirtana. Winning colors is a uh, six furlong sprint. The Kirtana is a mile and a half on the grass for the Phillies and Mares. Uh, both look to be outstanding races. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick it off with race one, and this is a two-year-old maiden special weight, five furlongs on the dirt, and should be a very very interesting race to me. Uh, number three, Gunite, is the morning line favorite, eight to five, son of Gunrunner, out of Simple Surprise. And this is for Steve Aspewson making his second start. Alan, we'll kick it off and go straight to you. What are your thoughts in the opener? Well, first off, uh, start by saying, you know, again, we're, as, as you mentioned, it's night racing, and with people bemoan all the problems in, in racing, so on and so forth, but I, I do tend to look at the positives over the negatives, and there's a lot of positives. Uh, and one of them is Churchill does a fantastic job with night racing. Let's give them their due. Um, people have their issues with Churchill, but, uh, but they get a lot of people in the stands. Thursday night racing gets a lot in the stands. Saturday night is a wonderful time. We're looking forward to it. And I believe there's a country music theme to be too, which I personally love. And I will use the opportunity to shamelessly come up with a wide variety of puns, country music-related puns throughout this broadcast. So be forewarned, okay, CC? Oh, boy, I can't wait. <laughs> but I know you do concur with me on uh, the, the Saturday night racing, correct? I love it. I, yeah. I, it's just something different. Yeah, and it's well done. So uh, with that out of the way, uh, giving them their props, I, I do think the first race is interesting. It's two-year-olds. Uh, one of the good things is you'll have plenty of time because it, it does kick off the card to see uh, where the early money goes. Some of these horses may be live on the teleport. Pay attention to the teleport. The one I believe will be live. I think there's a there's a Larry Ravelli horse in here. Who? Uh, what is the name of that bad boy? CC. Uh, I'm trying to get to it. The seven horse, if I'm not mistaken. Roger McQueen. Roger McQueen. I expect to take some money here. It's Larry Ravelli, who's always dangerous. Everyone knows that. Um, when he comes in, he comes in to win. This horse. Uh, is a two-year-old son of Unified. This is Unified's first starter, correct? Uh, uh, it's his first crop, that's for sure. First crop. Anyway, this horse, $10,000 stud fee. This horse went for $530,000. I'm sure that's going to get a lot of people's attention. Doesn't necessarily mean that the horse is live, but the works would indicate that is Ravelli's horses, if they're ready to roll, they'll bust out of the gate running. So I'm going to give a look to Roger McQueen here. Use Gunite underneath in the two or three spot, perhaps. There's some other uh, other contenders in here. Norm Cassie's been off to a hot start with his two-year-olds. He's got a runner here. Uh, Dallas Stewart does well with two-year-old first-time starters, despite what people think. Uh, lands down, so 
there's a few ways to go in here. I'm not going to pretend that there's not, uh, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on the tote board and probably uh, a couple dollars down on Roger McQueen for Larry Ravelli, number seven. Yeah, Roger McQueen is is out of a mare named Promise Me a Cat. She was a stakes winner. I think mainly mainly in Louisiana. Well, she she no she she ran in uh, at Aqueduct Parks Monmouth. So she's been around. She was a, a nice sprinting fairly won over three hundred thousand uh, dollars. Anytime, anytime a horse brings a lot of money at a two year old sale. And they show up almost immediately after, you know, this, in this case, maybe two months, you, you can almost bet that they're live. Uh, so, you know, you've got to, you've got to give this horse some uh, consideration. And like you said, I mean, it is, I'm just going to mimic what you just said. It's, it's, it seems like it's going to be Roger McQueen, Gunite making the second start for Aspuson. And I have a feeling that uh, the owner, Winchell Thoroughbreds, wants to get Gunrunner off to a good start. Yes. Aspuson tried this several years ago with Posse. Uh, he got a lot of winners early on with Posse, and I think that helps uh, during the uh, the fall yearling sales. So I'm, uh, I, they, they've got more than more than, more motivation than than most to, to get Gunrunner off to a good start. So uh, one quick thing, one quick thing, but if he was going to wrap this up, the eight horse knocker down, uh, low profile connections. However, they do very well with two year olds. And it's uh, Travis Mur Murphy, the jockey of Sidney Murphy. I'm assuming they're husband and wife, brother and sister. I'm not sure. But if you're looking for a horse to kick up your super effective payoff, your trifecta payoff, perhaps, this horse did pass five horses in his debut at Keeneland. And lots of times with two-year-olds, if they can pass horses, with a two-year-old, if they can pass horses, they're uh, they're worth keeping in mind. So uh, I could see this horse getting to the bottom rungs of your exotics as a, as a bit of a big-time bomb. So. That that combo finished second on Thursday in a two-year-old race. Yeah. Uh, son of Run Happy. So almost got the win, in fact. I think mm -hmm. it was Thursday. Yeah, early Thursday. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's for me, it's Gunite, it's Roger McQueen, and keep an eye on Lansdowne. That's a half-brother to Midnight Lucky, who was a stakes winner for Bob Baffert back in the day. So that's race one. Uh, let's go to race two. It's a... 25,000 our claimer for four years old and up, Phillies and Mares, six and a half furlongs on the dirt. I don't have a real opinion here, do you? No, I really don't. This is uh, one of those races where if I don't have a strong opinion, I'm not going to pretend to have one, uh, folks. Uh, sometimes these, Especially these short fields, these short compact fields have a tendency to be kind of, I don't say random, but there's four and five horses anyone can win. None of the odds are going to be that out of whack. If I'm playing a multi-race wager, there are three I would focus on more than others. Let's put it that way. Those three would be the number two centerfold angel, centerfold angel first off the claim for Greg Foley. Uh, I thought this horse always showed a little bit of talent. The fact that the Foley's have him now kind of enhances that. Um, so he's run some good races. I would also uh, maybe focus on Black Kettle off the drop. For Eddie Keneally, just ran a pretty good second, a pretty good third, I should say. But they cut the price tag in half. Makes that should make the horse fit here, and perhaps Little Miss Hot Mess as a bit of an outsider. But as I mentioned, I don't have a strong opinion. I would probably lean to Centerfold Angel and, and Black Kettle the most. Uh, yeah, I would use those in Rude Awakening. Excuse me, Rude Awakening as well. In the maker barn I, i'm not going to ignore anything from that barn the way they're mm -hmm. running so agreed 
All right, race three, lounge optional claimer. This is a really, really interesting lounge race for three-year-olds, which have never won three races, or for a claiming price of $100,000. Six furlongs on the dirt, and I'll tell you what, uh, let's see where the favoritism goes. It goes to number two, Casadero for Steve Asmussen. This was a stakes winner last summer as a two-year-old, won the Bashford Manor Stakes. Looked like he was going to be a really special horse, then kind of went off the rails a little bit. Uh, came back in his second start to finish second in the bachelor behind Jackson Traveler, who's another top horse for Asmussen. Uh, I'm going to pick number four, Bob's Edge. That's a horse is a kind of a favorite of mine. I think uh, he doesn't necessarily have to win. I think I'm going to use him in the exact at, at the worst. I'm going to key him in exact in exactus with like maybe four over one two, and to a lesser extent four with three. Four with three. Yeah, so yeah, four with one, two, and then four with three. And then I'm going to reverse it two, one with four. And to a lesser extent, three with four. But Bob's Edge, uh, I kind of thought he'd be a stake source early in his career. And that last race, he ran third behind Jackson Traveler and Casadero. So, you know, two top horses. This horse fits in here. I think he's got a shot to get part of this. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, uh, uh, again, it's a short field, but this is a, this is a good short field, so to speak. It's competitive. A number of ways it can win. Again, I'll mention three horses that I like over the others. Uh, I like the aforementioned Bob's Edge, who uh, has never run a bad race. The last race was better than it looks. Larry, It's cowboy night. It's country music night. Larry Jones always has a cowboy hat on, right? Maybe there's something to be said about that. Um, I think the horse that horse would be in a good spot. I'd also use Privet Moon. Brad Cox, Judmont, horse has done nothing wrong. As a two-year-old, we'll see if his uh, three-year-old form coming off the layoff will be nearly as sharp as his two-year-old form was. In that two-year-old season, one of the horses he beat was Awesome Jerry, who runs as part of the entry with he's in charge for Al Stahl. Awesome Jerry's uh, trained by Safi Joseph. Either one of those horses can win. Um, the fact that you would get both those horses, if they both go, neither are scratched, I think you have to give a strong look to that entry. Uh, I'm going to lay a little lower on Casadero. I, I think uh, there's others that intrigue me more in here, but I would, I would lean to the entry of awesome Jerry. He's in, and he's in charge along with Bob's edge and Privet moon. Any of the three to me could win. They would be on my ticket. So again, no strong opinion, no solid pick, but uh, that's what I'm looking at. The five ultimate badger is a really nice horse. It, you, you wonder if he can pass all of them in this six horse field in the six furlong race, I should say that's my only issue with ultimate badger is a horse. I really, really like might need a little more pace, might need a little more ground. Uh, something to be said about ultimate badger. He's first Lasix. That is true. That is true. Uh, just something to keep an eye on race four. I don't really care for this race is a maiden claimer mile and 16 for Phillies three years old and up $75,000 claiming tag. I think, uh, I see six horses I'm going to use in my pick four. Uh, Alan, who do you like? I see five. If I if I do go the pick four, pick five route, which if Ravel, I I I personally may single Larry Ravelli's horse in the first race. If I do, I'm not going to get crazy uh, going spread spread too much because I'm just going to uh, I'm going to focus on the ones that I would want on my ticket, the ones I would want on my ticket in this race, which I find to be a bit of an intriguing race. Number the one I would want the most is a horse I mentioned last time a few weeks ago, Suki. Uh, 
who ran really, really well, got going way too late last time for Dallas Stewart on the drop in a maiden claimer. I haven't forgotten how well he run down a, she ran down a stretch. He got claimed by Matt Shear. Matt Shear is a very good claiming trainer. So the bump from 30 to 75 does not bother me that much. I would want Suki on my ticket. I would want the three horse, some kind of pretty for Al Stahl, who's bred for the turf. And we're going to toss his last race on the off going. I thought the turf race in his debut was not that bad. Made a bit of an early move, kind of faded late. Probably fits better at this tag. So those are the two that I'm going to focus the most on. But in addition to that, because I want to have some bombs on a ticket, I'd add Flotto with Ben Colebrook at 20 to 1, the five horse. Any, any Ben Colebrook horse that shows any sort of talent, flash of speed, you got to keep in mind. This surface switch might be tricky, might be good. The, the debut was, was pretty good at Turfway Park. It's worth inclusion. I'll give the one horse another chance after a bit of a disappointing effort in Sprint Company. Maybe they just send the horse from the rail. Uh, going two turns, so it's going to be 20 to 1. I'd want that one on my ticket. And there's one other one who I would be remiss to leave out. And uh, I, th I think I'd be happy with just those four. Just those four. How about you? Uh, one note on Flauto. That horse might have a little turf pedigree underneath on the dam side. Corsage ran only three times. Uh, she hit the board twice. Didn't win, but she earned some good thoroughbred numbers as a four-year-old on the on the grass. Mm -hmm. So something to keep keep in mind. So yeah, I did blinkers not on that. blinkers on too. Yeah, blinkers. I I didn't include that one, but now that you mentioned, I'm probably gonna go seventy now. And I don't really have a strong opinion, like I said, but you gotta use the five because that's the one you want to win. Yeah. So uh, I'm two, three, four, five, seven, eight, and nine. You didn't mention number eight, Colonel Abby B. Uh, she's looks like she's just gotten better as she's gotten older and you know she's she may be a bit of a pack animal but she's oh she's bred for turf and i'm going to include her just in case but like gotcha. i said I, I have no opinion in this race so yeah these maiden these uh maiden claimers on the turf going long uh, they have a tendency to get obviously second tier stock and it, it, the results can be a little a little hard to come up with sometimes so i don't blame you a bit well, I've always said that the uh, the maiden varieties at Churchill on the grass were not were, were always below par. Just imagine what the maiden claimers are. Agreed. Agreed. So, uh, all right. So let's go to our our co-feature in race five. It's the six furlong winning color stakes, hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's a grade three fillies and mares four and up. Six furlongs on the dirt, and looks like a two horse race on paper. Between number two, Frank's Rocket, who is a graded stakes winner of over $746,000. And she will be challenged by the home team, number four, Sconson from Greg Foley Barn, ridden by Tyler Gaffleone, a winner of over $450,000. Herself, also a graded stakes winner. Where uh, One caveat before I let you jump in. There's some rumblings that number one rising seas may scratch. Now, oh, I do not know that for a fact, but if she does, that could change the complexion of the race. Yeah, it can change the complexion of my uh, pick because I was going to go all contrary and take rising seas in this spot because uh, every again, 
when you're playing multi-race wagers in particular and everybody focuses on two horses and everybody tells you it's a two-horse race, you'd be surprised how often that does not turn out to be the case and it will absolutely blow those tickets up exponentially. And I, I did believe I, it was a stretch to think Rising Seas could beat these two horses, but I thought I thought it could happen. Um, so especially at the price I was going to get with the Corey Lannery rides this horse. He rides this horse extremely well. Uh, his all his best efforts come with Corey Lannery. He has inside position over Fra- or she has inside position over Frank's Rocket Girl, and uh, two back uh, Rising Seas ran at Keeneland, huge number ninety nine. I thought it was kind of a inflated number until she ran last time out going seven furlongs, which she hadn't done before, and fought every step of the way and just got into a huge internal late battle with another horse and won that battle, lost the war. So if the horse hadn't bounced. I was going to take a shot and take Landry on the rail to to, to uh, get the jump on Frank's Rock Girl and hold off Sconson. Now that you're saying that, I have to rechange my thinking. Well, uh, now I, I'm I don't know that for a fact. That's something you need to check probably around noon tomorrow to be sure. Agreed. But I, I heard that. So so give me the give me the caveat then. If she does scratch, then that actually makes Frank's Rock Girl pretty tough. There's a concern that maybe Frank's Rocket Girl has lost just a hair. It, this this season it may be just uh the way the trips have went so but the, then again if, if rising seas out then she it's gonna be hard to run this horse down to be honest with you so but my selection i would use four horses here because if i'm singling earlier and my horse hits i can afford to go a little deeper and it's and it's that contrary selection of rising seas that have the opportunity to blow the ticket up so what i would like to do is i would like to be alive to Rising Sea, Sconson, Frank's Rocket Girl, and Bayerness. My selection would be Rising Seas if she runs. If she doesn't run, I mean, I guess you had to default to Frank's Rocket Girl at one to two. So, what do you think? Uh, Frank's Rocket ran. Or she on third graph, she paired up her best ever lifetime figure in her last start, even though she lost. And that's mainly because of a wide trip, and she was beaten by uh, a filly that's up and coming in Edgeway. Yes. Uh, you know, I think Frank's Rockette probably will set the perfect trip here. And mm. if she doesn't bounce off the big effort at Oakland, I mean, she'll win this easy. Uh, if the race was at seven furlongs, I think Sconson could come in and get her. Sconson, uh, in her own right, paired up her best figure from her three-year-old year in her last start. So, obviously, she's doing well. I think uh, – and – to me, on third graph, the rest don't aren't even close. Uh, so maybe Byroness could could move forward uh, off her lone start. I mean, it seems like Sherry DeVoe runners, if they if they run well in their first start of the year, they'll they'll come back and run even better the second time. So that might be one if you want to try to split the exacta with the two favorites. But for me, it's Frank's Rocket is a is a clear A, and Sconson is a B. Byroness is a C. That's the only ones that I would consider there. Gotcha. So Frank Rockett's going to be my single in the early pick five. Okay. All right. Race six. $30,000 non-winners of three for the older fillies and mares or for three-year-old fillies. Six furlongs on the dirt. And this race is wide open. Number six, Nightlife on the drop for Eddie Keneally. Is accorded favoritism on the morning line at five to two for Tyler Gaffleyon. 
I don't know if you have a pick here. Do you have a selection in the race six? I do not. I'd like to go on record that I hate this race. And not every race is made to be bet. This is one I probably would lay off. The only thing that intrigues me uh, is the number five horse, Duplicitous, because one everybody knows I like Wesley Hawley. Wesley Hawley and Miguel Mena do wonderful work together. I do Wesley Hawley and Corey Lannery. And this horse was claimed by Wesley Hawley. Um, and special note, Duplicitous beat me last year when I bet Michelle Lovell's horse spitefulness at 95 to 1. Duplicitous beat this horse. I think he yeah, had Duplicitous one for you, but you also had spitefulness that day. Am I not mistaken? At 95 to 1. Is that correct, CC? I had her in the pick four. Yes, to end the pick four, right? In the pick four, yeah, exactly. 99 so, to 1. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, that was great. I mean, I, I had place and show money. Whoop de doo. But uh, that said, just one quick note there. Uh, if, if you held a gun in my head and made me pick one, I'd pick Wesley Hawley off the claim for that sole reason and no other reason. But once again, no opinion, hate the race, interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, there's two horses in here, actually, that I like now that I think about it. Originally, I had one in mind. My top selection is going to be number eight, Vintage Ready for Eric Reed, written by Gerardo Corrales. And there's not much in the race. So I'm going to take a horse that appears healthy and on the on the improve, and I think she fits that bill. She drops in, in class, but that last race at Mountaineer, she won in a hand ride. And I know she didn't beat anything. She was two to five. But she earned a really, really fast thoroughgraph number in that race. I think she might be lone speed in here, possibly. If not, she's going to get a perfect stalking trip. Uh, she just appears to me like a horse that's maybe on the improve, and you know, six, seven, eight to one. I think you need to include her, and I'm not I'm not brave enough to single her in anything, but uh, she will be on the ticket. Uh, the other one I like is number four, She O She for Tom Amos, off the claim for Maggie Moss. Now, Tom Amos tends to do better when he hikes a horse in class, and he does with this one. What I also like about Amos, he, he probably claimed this filly, uh, daughter of Daredevil, he probably claimed this filly because he saw a really big effort in her past, in the in her second career start. She earned a big uh, buyer figure that day. Uh, she beat a filly named Perfect Happiness, who was a, a terror at Oakland at the time. She also beat Alta's award. I'm betting that Amos thinks that he can get her back to that number. And if it's only just one time, then... Uh, you know, so be it. So, you know, it's a, it's a good purse, $41,000 purse. Uh, if, if he could uh, win the race and get claimed, it'd be a, a, a boon for, for those, for that duo. So for me, give me vintage ready on top. I also like she, oh, she number four, that's eight over four for me. Well, that's good. Cause I had, again, I had no opinion. So uh, I'll, I will take that advice. Race seven. And we're working our way down. About nine o'clock on Saturday night, maiden special weight, Phillies and Mares three and up, mile on the sixteenth on the dirt course. Another interesting race. The favoritism will live with number five, Seaside Retreat for Shug McGahee, ridden by Corey Lannery. This Blaine Philly, four year old, finished second on Oaks Day, where she finished second behind Distorted Verb, an upset winner from the Dallas Stewart Barn. Where do you land? You know, Seaside Retreat uh, doesn't thrill me. Not much in here really, again, does thrill me. These are three-year-old 
fillies going around the ground. Sometimes these races are kind of hard to pick. I think Seaside Retreat should be probably get bet. I have someone has to get bet, so I expect Seaside Retreat to get down to bet down about oh nine to five, and that's not a way to make a living. Uh, so we'll go to Closet Shopper personally. Um, not crazy about the race. I kind of like the way this one finished up. Might be getting a little bit better for uh, Greg Foley. Team Foley, I should say. Uh, Get Santana. Santana and Greg Foley are one for one together this meet with uh, one of my personal favorites, Attorney Tim, and one of the auto races you're going to see. And and Santana uh, got that one home that day. Maybe he get a closet shopper home down in here. Again, not a strong pick. A few other ways to go. I wouldn't blame you if you left the horse out. I wouldn't blame you if you uh, went four or five deep. Uh, Again, I'm just kind of mulling through these races right here. So hit me, buddy. You know, there's two fillies in here that I like the best. Uh, Number six is Bold Tactics. Ran a big, big race in her debut, going a two-turn mile. She closed late and ran second to a really nice filly named Trumpet Lily from the Cipriano Contreras barn. And then she came back at Oakland. At three to five, I mean, she, it, she just looked like a standout and never really threatened the winner, Sundial, who was a nice Steve Asmussen filly. Uh, she bounced. She really bounced in that effort. So there's two ways to look at it. She ran the big number in her career debut, and it might have knocked her out, and she may never get back to that again for a long time. Or, you know, the last race was an aberration, and... She gets back to the to the debut, and if she does, she wins this race. I guess it depends on the price. She's nine to two on the morning line. I think that's good enough. But uh, if you don't like number six, Bold Tactics, I think uh, you should look at number three, Shoshone Moon. She debuted at Oakland back in March. I believe this was on maybe maybe Rebel Stakes Day. And I'm not sure. Not sure. But. Uh, Stephen Lister shipped her from the Thurbridge Center, and she showed up, and, you know, there was nothing to indicate that she was uh, going to run big that day other than the uh, tote board, and she was sent off at 3-1, to one, which was unusual, to say the least. The winner was uh, a Steve Asmussen runner named Fouet, who had raced at Saratoga last summer, and she came back and went wire to wire. Shoshone Moon loomed up on the outside of her. And it looked like maybe maybe she had a shot to run by, but then she, she flattened out late. Is it still a good second? She came back at Keeneland, and I made a big wager on her that day. I thought she was a standout. And she got clobbered coming out of the gate, uh, lost a lot of position early on. Then she had to check some more, wound up in the five path coming off the turn, and she just ran a flat sixth. That race has come back kind of interesting Safora Dada was the winner in that maiden race at Keeneland. She she's not fared well in her last two starts. Magic Quest finished off the board. The third place finisher, Stand By You, came back to win at Keeneland impressively. And I think she's going to show up at Belmont here soon. And there were some winners uh, at on in the back half of the field. So it's it was mixed results out of that field. But I think uh, I think I'm going to give her a second shot. And no way she goes off eight to one if she's the goods. So. For me, number six, Bold Tactics, over number three, Shoshone Moon. But I will use both. 
I like both of those. I'll stick with Closet Chopper, but I do like both your selections as well. Okay, race number eight is the start of the late pick four. It's a one mile, it's a flat one mile, one turn mile, allowance optional claimers. And owners of three, optional claiming tag of $80,000. This field is pretty deep, more deep than I originally imagined. I believe the favorite is on the outside, number 10, Big Dreaming. Seven to two for Wayne Catalano, Ricardo Santana. This guy comes off one of the weirdest rides that you'll ever see on Oaks Day. He raced in a seven-horse field, and immediately out of the gate, Giroux just tried to anchor him and tried to get him to rate through fractions of 50 and 115. And that horse wanted nothing to do with that, and he ran off the board at three to one. Uh, he comes back with a new rider this time, and I think uh, I think he's going to be on the engine. What do you think? I agree with you. Again, uh, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I always try to be honest. Uh, this is about the third or fourth race in a row. I don't have a strong opinion. Uh, again, I'm enjoying going to the, the track tomorrow. I'm enjoying going and, and, and hanging out and being part of that atmosphere. I wish I had more strong selections. <laughs> from a from a personal standpoint, I wish I had a couple more I could sink my teeth into. Um, this is another case, another race where I'm like, Ugh. Uh, but it, what I, but again, I'll just you know you just go through here and you go through a default process or who do you like, who do you like, who do you not like, who's over, who's going to take too much money, who's going to be right, who's got the right price because that's what a lot of horse racing is is uh, who, who, who do you feel has a legitimate chance to win it at the, at the correct price that you'll take? There's a few in here like that for me where I will probably lean. Uh, I like the prices, the potential prices. Uh, you got to handicap how the public's going to bet. On Empty Tomb, the four horse, Royal Mesa, the five horse, and Thirst for Life, the six horse. Those are the ones that intrigue me the most at the prices that they're going to be. Big Dreaming. I don't know what you're going to get with Big Dreaming. Catalano's had a tough meet. I don't know what to make of that last race. Uh, going back to the dirt might be the wake-up call for the horse. I'm not sure. But the three I just mentioned, like I would want them on my ticket because of the prices that they're going to be relative to the chances that they're going to have. And of the three that I mentioned, I think I like Empty Tomb the most. Uh, you, you, he has one really bad race on his, on his ledger, and that's the mile and eighth. Uh, Kentucky Cup Classic at Turfway Park. Two things that day, though. One, that was on the poly track, which he may have hated. And two, because that's it's his only race on all weather. And two, he had no Lasix because it was a stake race. So they put the horse back at Keeneland. It gets a, a really nice uh, optional 80 race with South Bend. When the race was in the Kentucky Derby last year, this horse tried the whole way down the stretch. I'm willing to forgive the Turfway race, the no Lasix race. The horse got Lasix back next time. I think I'm going to give a slight lean to the four, Empty Tomb, and Tyler Gaffleon, who leaves Royal Mesa. That may be the trainer's decision to, to get him off Royal Mesa. I don't know. But give me Empty Tomb with a strong look to Royal Mesa and one of my old favorites, uh, Thirst for Life, who is completely well matched up with Corey Lannery as his jockey. And don't be surprised if he comes up the rail to cause some surprises. But give me empty tomb to rise to the occasion. Ah, I got that one. <laughs> uh, first of all, yeah, you got to consider number six, Thirst for Life, as a key. Always. Uh, yeah, if you can just figure out who the winner is going to be. Exactly. You can, you can key the 
thirst for life around around the, the winter. And been doing I, it for years. Been doing it for years. <laughs> but you know, the, originally I was going to go all in on Big Dreaming number ten. I know the barn is high on the horse because I think he had a big work. Yeah, he had big work May eleventh. He really so, did. Yeah, I mean, this is his second start as a four-year-old. This, you know, he might be coming into his own. He might just blow this field away. So there is a, if he doesn't, there is a case to be made that this tempo might be pretty hot if number three, my sixth sense goes with him early. And this horse back on September the 2nd went 23 and 145 and four going a flat mile at Churchill. So, you know, if these two were to hook up early, it could set the, the stage for a horse like uh, number eight, Guest Suite, to come rolling late, uh, you know, at, at pretty good odds. So, it, at, you know, it, it, there's different ways to go here. That's for sure. I, I, I'm not going to count out number two, Finnick the Fierce, no. for uh, Ray Hernandez. He, this horse came back on March 3rd on the poly, or the tap, or the, excuse me, the tapita, at Turfway and won. And then they threw him against uh, the Wolves in the Kentucky Cup Classic, like you said, off Lasix. Uh, he got beat by some really good horses that day as well. He comes back on the Lasix, but they throw him on the grass in that, that same Oak State race that uh, Big Dreaming was in. And now they're adding blinkers back on. He's returning to dirt. I think the horse has a shot to, to get part of this. So. Uh, one quick note, one quick note. You said he was putting blinkers back on the horse. I believe they're putting a blinker back on the horse. The horse has one yes, eye. Yes, it has one eye. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, and I believe that the Brisnet actually says blinker on, or does it, does it usually say blinker <laughs> blinkers? I have a day where it says blinkers. But okay. Blinker on would be more. Uh, it says blinker on in the Brisnet thing. I don't know if that's a. Just to let people know, but yes, uh, Finnick the Fierce, folks, was set to run the Kentucky Derby last year, and was going to be a fan favorite. The horse has uh, just the one eye, but he doesn't seem to bother him. Yeah, so bottom line here, I think Big Dreaming is set for a big move forward. I think this horse really has a shot to be a, a stakes horse going forward. He's got the pedigree. He's got the, uh, the right connections, and that big work, I can't deny it. So I would... Uh, I'm probably going to single Big Dreaming on one ticket, but gosh, I can't help but spread on the other ticket because there's a lot of horses in here I like. The Finnick the Fierce, uh, My Sixth Sense has run some big numbers, Empty Tomb, Royal Mesa, Thirst for Life's a horse that you want to use underneath for sure. And, you know, Guess Sweet might pick him up at the end. And then there's Mailman Money, who's two for four at Churchill. So this is a this is a great betting race, in my opinion. If you can just figure out who the winner's going to be, then you can probably fill in the rest. Uh, underneath so uh, looking forward to, to race eight but race nine now is the Kirtana stakes aren't ten thousand dollar mile and a half on the turf with Phillies and mares uh, favoritism will almost certainly be afforded to number eight Delta's Kingdom she's five to two on the morning line for Bill Mott Florent Giroux this mare has not won since September of 2019. That was a Churchill. Where did you land in the Kirtana? Um, well, you know, I asked myself, uh, you know what, Alan? Uh, you've made some terrible selections so far. I think we could probably all agree with that. The results will probably uh, pan that out. But you really haven't made one real bonehead, dumbass selection yet that just 
has people shaking their heads. I'm going to change that right here, folks. It's time for my uh, bomb, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm going to number nine, Campbellese, a 20 to one, probably end up being 40 to one. Uh, two reasons. One, apparently I don't like money. And uh, secondly, uh, I find faults with all the favorites. I find fa- Delica uh, of late has not been running that well. She could be lone speed, but I mean, the last race, I mean, there's really no excuse outside the fact she'd have LASIKs, but she won't have LASIKs again today. Uh, the horse is always, Delica always has a one on, one off pattern. That didn't work out last time. That's two poor races in a row for Delica. So that's going to scare me away at three to one. Even though I love Al Stahl, I love Miguel Mena. Uh, the favorite, Delta's Kingdom, never wins. Always runs in a solid effort to be about three lengths off the winner. Uh, can you bet a horse like that to favoritism with confidence? I can't. Uh, pass the plates in the race, really nice horse. Again, doesn't win that often. Needs needs a, some something to run at in front of uh, in front of her. So I can go up and down the line. Temple City Terror is a horse I really love. I don't know if the horse is going to uh, have that same kick at a mile and a half that she does. She loves Churchill Downs. So I go through that up and down this car. That's kind of how I handicap sometimes. And then if, I've, if I'm having that many questions with horses who are three to one, four to one whatsoever, what the hell? Let's go. Let's go 30, 40 to one. And I'm going to do that with Campbelliza. It's probably a terrible pick, but, you know, everything's relative to price. Just when you go shopping at the store and I think you're going to get a price here. Uh, despite poor form in 2021, Campbellisa, you go back to last year and the year prior. She's run some good races at marathon distances, uh, and all with James Graham. James Graham gets back aboard today for one of the best turf trainers in the country, at least on the East Coast. Arnold Delacour, um, horse broken main to Kentucky Downs at miles five sixteenths, runs a real nice one uh, X race mile three sixteenths at Keeneland. Comes back the next year, again, runs second to stakes winning Blame Debbie at a mile and five sixteenths. Follows that up with a, a near miss at a mile and a half at Keeneland. Then she does go off form, as I mentioned. But this is only her, basically her second start this year. Gets reunited with James Graham. Uh, p- weird pace scenarios happen in mile and a half races. They're hard to predict. Uh, sometimes being on leads where you want to be, sometimes it's a cavalry charge from the back. Maybe this horse trips into a, a decent spot. At 35-41, I'm willing to try Campbelliza. I have, if I have talked anybody in this horse with that long narrative, I apologize. <laughs> but that's where I'll go. Man, I love it when you tell jokes. So <laughs> give us your real selection. Uh, my real selection is I'll probably sit the race out, and I'll probably be in my fifth beer talking so much I'll probably forget to bet the last three races. That's probably what actually happened. <laughs> Maybe I'll get a couple bucks down at Campbelliza early. You, you've obviously read Brandon Jaggers. <laughs> very much so yes all right well you know me i'll, I'll single 40 to one I, I i'm not saying i'm gonna single this horse but that would be on my ticket i'm embarrassed to give you my selection i just i mean i'm taking the easy way out going with uh, the second choice delica i don't blame you the 10 the 10 mare she's it looks like she's gonna be lone speed there's nothing in here that wants to be on the lead possibly naomi broadway if, if naomi broadway goes to the lead then that's probably a good thing for my filly Yes, I agree. Uh, I agree. She's she's co-fastest horse in the race on third graph alongside number eight, Delta's Kingdom. Uh, so, you know, splitting the two, I'll take the, the one that likes to win, and that's uh, Delica, who's six for 20. Delta's Kingdom's only two for 19, and she's lost uh, her last nine. Now, I will say that she's better now than she's ever been in her career. 
but uh, you know she keeps running in the bus saws, and there was no bus saw like Warlike Goddess last time. Who's definitely on her way to Grade One competition. Mm-hmm. She was beating three links by that that mare, and you know outside of that, I mean I think I think you're right on Temple City Terror. I think she'll be uh, coming late. Uh, looks like she's a up and coming mare. Uh, hopefully she'll handle the, the, the 12 furlong distance. Past the plate will be coming late, but you know she's always wide. And she's always way too late. You know, this is the type of horse that you could key underneath, maybe second, third, and fourth, and she'll get a she'll get a piece every single time. But uh, for me, Delica is my top choice, number ten, and I will play her over the four, the five, and the eight. And hell, why not? I'll put her over the nine. Good, good job. I'm gonna make a couple quick notes. Again, there will be some people who don't ordinarily listen, or just trying to learn about horse racing. I'll make a couple quick notes if I may. Uh, one, this is a mile and a half race, and there is a tendency at newer newer folks to think that the further you go, you automatically make up more. If you're a closer, you automatically make up more ground. Like if you've been running a mile and sixteenths, and you have a strong closing kick that that's just going to translate to, hey, just give them another further to go and they'll win. It doesn't work that way. It's the same as humans when they run. Uh, the longer they go can flatten that kick out, can make you one pace. If you don't believe me, go run go run uh, 500 yards and you have a nice kick. Then go try to run two miles, and I bet you don't have that same kick. If you, you have it tends to be more one pace, you just kind of flatten out. That's the concern sometimes with horses who have strong closing kicks at a shorter distance of a mile, mile 16th, they have a tendency to flatten out uh, going longer. Whereas horses who are on the front end, the they have a tendency to just get out there and start to gallop, and they enjoy running longer, and they just continue to – and it, it's, it's beneficial to have more pace going long is basically what I'm saying. So, And the second note I would make, uh, the, the favorite in this race, Delta's Kingdom, as we mentioned earlier, uh, the horse loves to run second, loves to run third, Never seems to get in the wind photo. If you're looking to figure out a way to play the race a little more creatively, try to make some money, maybe you, as CeCe mentioned with Pass the Plate, maybe you put uh, play a trifecta or an exact or whatever with Delta's Kingdom in the second and third spot and try to build something around that. Just two quick notes for some people who may not uh, follow horse racing all the time. All right. Excellent. we got two more to go. Do we really? My God, what a card. Man, that's true. Now, we get down to the 10th race. It's a uh, allowance A other than seven furlongs. And uh, there's no two ways about it. This is a two-horse race between number one, Calibrate, and number two, Aloha West. Which one did you pick? Um, uh, I, I would make a case. Maybe you just bet the trifecta and use Trash Talking Yankee. Try to hammer it. Uh, I'm going to lean to Calibrate probably – in, in, in situations such like this, I'm renowned for pick, guessing the wrong one in a 50-50 spot. But I think Calibrate, second start of off the layoff, horse should be up near the pace, be on the lead perhaps. May not be as sharp currently as Aloha West is, but I love Calibrate's maiden win last year at Saratoga. Sometimes the ass and horses don't round back into form after they went off form. But I'm willing to take a shot here that this horse has the talent and the decided pace advantage to take these all the way. So I'm going to lean to Calibrate. And if Calibrate were to get the lead and win the race, I fully expect Aloha West to run second. 
and perhaps trash talking Yankee third. If you want to get crazy and find that third horse that could beat the top two, maybe it's trash talking Yankee, but that that's a long shot. That's just if you've got extra money to try to blow something up, but it's probably the top two as CC mentioned. Give me the rail horse and calibrate though. Well, I'll go with the other one because uh, there was a lot of steam on Aloha West uh, when he broke his maiden. Catalano never wins with a first-time starter. I mean, never wins with a first-time Never. And this horse beat Mighty Mischief, who's a nice three-year-old. He won those stakes on uh, Preakness Day at Pimlico for Asmussen. And uh, Aloha West beat this horse in the first start. Now, in the second start, he came back at 2-1. to one. And in a race that he probably should have won, but uh, he, he had a terrible start. He got pinched. Now, he might have stumbled a little bit, and that was the end of the race for him. So he comes back to Keeneland, and once again, I loaded up on this one because I thought this was the one. This is the time I'm going to get even. And Giroux waited and waited and waited and waited to the top of the stretch, and then he launched his rally, and he just ran out of real estate. He was beaten by Answer In, who was from the Brad Cox barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Thoroughgraph, Aloha West is way better than Calibrate, but I will say that Calibrate paired his two-year-old top in his first start of the year. That's a good sign. So we could see a forward move from Calibrate. I'm going to pick Aloha West. He'll be an A. Calibrate will be a B. And I don't really care about anything else in the race. No, it's it appears to be a two-horse race. I, again, I would use Yankee to clean up the pieces. Um, but again, we go back to another thing about horse racing and, and wagering and, and newbies and such. The temptation is going to be use both these horses in your pick for, and I don't blame you if you do, but just, just so you know, if, if you're going to play, it's going to double the cost of your ticket. So if you can narrow it down to one, you'll either a save, save half your money or B you can just double up your bet and play it for a dollar, for instance. But again, Generally speaking, when you try to narrow it down to one, you usually guess wrong. But, you know, the way to do that is is to take a stab on one, maybe play the second one to a lesser extent if you're that scared of it. But, uh, man, go for the goal. You see, we we, we both picked the, the wrong, uh, we both picked one of the others. So one of us is going to be wrong. Well, I will say this, though. If you have Cam Beliza in the race before. That is 30, true. Yes. One, you better make sure. Agreed. You get through this, so yes. both. If you, yes. if you have a problem, because you'll be you'll be kicking yourself the rest of your life. I assure you, I will. All right, last last call, race eleven, start allowance, and this is for three three years old and upward, which have started for a claiming price of fifty thousand dollars in their career or less, and have never won a race other than their maiden win. It's mile sixteenth on the turf. I think it's wide open. I do like a horse in here, kind of a low, lowish price, but we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, again, you, you hit on the nail. I think it might be the toughest race of the night, and that's saying something because some of these races are fairly nondescript, and uh, this one's tough. So I'm, I'm going to focus on three. I'm not saying that I wouldn't use more, but I think you have to use Chantry Flats for Paul McGee simply because the horse is in good form. Uh, could have a pace advantage. Two of the last three starts, even though it's against slightly lesser, and the pace has been, you know, to her liking, to say the least. Again, the horse in good form, horse likes to win. In a race such as this, these are nice horses, but they haven't proven they like to win. Um, even though Chantry Flats is a six-year-old with 
two of those wins coming in the last three starts and only a three-time career winner, she's still the horse is still he's still in good form. So I'd have to use Chantry Flats. I would also have to use Fieldstone. I would say Fieldstone might be my top selection, even though it's only a, a three-year-old run against older horses. I love the fairgrounds races. The horse closed resolutely, determinedly in all those races. Uh, I don't think the race at Keeneland is that bad. There's a lot of horses exiting that race. It was kind of a wonky pace race. Uh, so I'm willing to forgive it a little bit. My bigger concern is just three old going against older horses. Uh, she was that uh, He was that day. But, again, everything's price relative. Um, at 12 to 1, I'm willing to take a shot. And I'll take an X-Factor look at Ken McPeak's perfect cut. It's got Ken McPeak, Brian Hernandez. Uh, the horse got drilled on Derby Day by Mask Parade, but everybody got drilled on Derby Day by Mask Parade. Uh, the horse just destroyed them that day. So if you take the 11 lengths of Mask Parade won by this horse, only four lengths off Ghazali for Todd Fletcher and Shadwell, maybe the surface switch uh, and blinkers off does something for this horse. I'd want the horse on that ticket. Let's put it that way. Don't not picking the horse to win. X factor horse. You want to have an X factor horse on your ticket. So give me uh, number nine Fieldstone with number eight Chantry Flats and an X factor nod to number five Perfect Cut. Well, all I'm going to say is, uh, I mean, this field is evenly matched. There is it is. One, there's one possible horse that could be a standout, and that might be number three Summer Palace. And this is just Strictly drinking the Thurograph Kool-Aid. The effort on March 27th, uh, Brendan Walsh dropped the horse down from maiden special weight to maiden claiming, and he just exploded and won by four lengths. Now, he was four to five in that effort, but that that fig that he ran in that race would just absolutely blow this field out. And uh, Joe Sharp claimed the horse for 30, brought him to Keeneland, and he he set off of a really really slow pace considering they were going a mile 24 and 1 49 4 horse couldn't get up just beating the neck i have to go back and watch that race i really can't remember what happened i do i bet the 50 to 1 horse that got beat a nose it was a horse that went, yeah it was 50 to 1 yes i bet i bet the horse to win and got beat on the very very last jump it was a nice it was a nice everybody oh i remember that now yeah i think i remember that yeah, well, Summer Place was right behind him. If if uh, Sharp can get this horse to come back to that big effort at Fairgrounds, he'll win. Now, uh, I should have mentioned that horse. I apologize. I should have mentioned that horse. You mentioned you made a great point. In these evenly matched races, and this appears to be an evenly matched race, find the horse that might be special. Of all the horses in this race that has the potential to be special, to be just much better than the rest, whether it be today or down the road, it's probably Summer Palace. For all the reasons you just mentioned, Summer Palace made a big move down a stretch that uh, that day, kind of hung at the very end. But again, the pace was not fast, so I would have definitely have that Summer Palace on my ticket as well. I apologize, I'd, I'd have four on there. So for me, I mean, it's either Summer Palace or I'm gonna have to go deep. So uh, yeah, that's all. That's it. Race eleven. That means I'll get home about twelve thirty. If I can make it out there. If I can make it out there at 11 o'clock, it'll be a miracle. I don't, I don't stay up that late, folks. I'm old. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, that wraps it up for another edition of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. Uh, first, we want to thank Billy Denzik for joining us. That was a great conversation, as always. He sounds like a fun, fun person to be around. 
No question. And, yeah, and then uh, we want to congratulate Brandon Jaggers on his uh, bachelor party that uh, should be kicking off right about now. We hope he survives. We hope nobody gets shot. <laughs> you never know around here. Before we go, any last shots? Any no, I, uh, I, I, I remiss. I didn't throw enough country music puns in there, and I, and I apologize. Wow. But yeah, you really fell short. Well, I got so focused on picking idiotic long shots. You know how, go, how it is. So, you know, I might have been better off with the puns. So next time, now you can guarantee next time. Well, hopefully, hopefully at 10:44 tomorrow night when they run. Excuse me, no, at 11:15 when they run that last race tomorrow night, we'll be singing uh, a new country song. What's when my, that? When my nose is running money, honey, I'll blow it all on you. Oh, that's beautiful. I need to get that down. You sound just like George Strait. That's yeah, wonderful. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's let's wind her up right now. So, on behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, this is CC brought us reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home. <laughs>